0: The scripture this morning is from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 26, through chapter 2, verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention and inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. This is God's word.
1: Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Um, It accomplishes exactly what you want it to accomplish when you send it out, just like the rain, as you say in your prophets. And so, Lord, I would pray for myself and for each of us here that your word would do exactly what we need today. For some of us with a passage like this especially, we need conviction, and we need to be challenged. For all of us, we need to hear you speaking to us, Lord, whatever it is that you might have to say. So would you not only teach us, but Lord, would you change us? We are, as Tim read earlier, in our status, we are perfect in your eyes. And yet, Lord, we know that we are being made perfect. So, Holy Spirit, would you continue that work in us now as we have read and now would consider further your word. Thank you for it and what you're going to do now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some years ago, a visiting professor came to, uh, to teach at a certain Christian institute of higher learning I happened to be at. Uh, he was very respected in academic circles, and it was uh, quite an honor to have him come and speaking and teaching with us. The day he showed up, he was uh, brought to the office building and introduced uh, all around. uh, Handshakes and pleasantries abounded for certain um, to everyone except one person. Now, all the professors got introduced to this guy, but one person was left standing there. It was as if this person was invisible and not there at all. And whether it was merely because, or because she was merely a woman or merely an admin, I never did find out. But either way, the reason wasn't good enough. She admired this guy, had read his books, so looked forward to meeting him, she was ignored. Some years even further back, there was a pastor's wife who uh, went to drop off her daughter at the nursery before the evening service. No other children had showed up, though, so she decided to go ahead into the service, bringing her daughter and the nursery worker's little boy with her. So she walked from the one building over to the uh, sanctuary. As she approached the door, though, to the uh, main church building where the worship service was about to happen, uh, she came up to one of the deacons, handing out bulletins who stopped her. And he said to the pastor's wife, mind you, you really shouldn't go in there. Why? Why? What do you mean? She responded. Well, not with him, he said, and pointed to the little boy. You see, the little boy was African American. And if the pastor's wife brought him into the all-white church, well, that would be the end of that pastor. Favoritism, discrimination, dishonor. These are some of the ugly words in our passage this morning that have no place in the church because they are no part of faith in Jesus Christ. We've been calling this series Faith That Works. We call it Faith That Works because James wants us to know in this passage what faith looks like. What is faith? What does it look like? What is it? It's not only knowing certain things, though that's really important. It's not only agreeing that those certain things are true. That's even more important. But it goes beyond that. Faith that works. Faith period. Is trusting in them, relying on them in a way that shows in your actions. It's no good saying you're a Panthers fan if you wear Saints' jerseys all the time. It's no good saying you love to cook if you go out to dinner all the time. It's no good saying you follow Christ if you discriminate, if you judge, if you dishonor the ones he loves. It's no good saying you're a follower of Christ if you discriminate against those here at Stonebridge. In our passage this morning, James shows us uh, how faith really works in our relationships in the church. So that's what we're going to talk about. And there's some heavy stuff here, but of course there's a, a good end to it. And, but here's what he does basically in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 that we're looking at today. First off, he lays a very simple principle out there that we must not show favoritism. Then he gives an example of it that we've read already, of course, uh, regarding the rich and the poor who come into the church meeting. Notice it comes into your meeting, James says, a a church service. That's in verses two and three. And then he explains why it's wrong, particularly in verses four to six. And that's what we're going to uh, look at here today. Now, the example that James gives has to do, as I said, uh, with wealth. And let's uh, read that passage again, verses two and three. Wow, again, James has some choice words here in this passage, doesn't he? Favoritism. Have you not discriminated among yourselves? Judges with evil thoughts. Wow, you have dishonored the poor. When we behave this way towards uh, rich uh, rich folks and then the poor folks, uh, that's how it's described. Hard, hard stuff, ugly words. And this has to do with... uh, discriminated against a poor person, which is particularly horrible because they already have a hard enough time in in life already, don't they? (laughs) They're poor. They're having a hard time making ends meet. They're maybe having a hard time uh, just feeding themselves and their family. And then they come to church, and they're told to stand over there. Now, of course, this principle applies to all sorts of situations that can happen in church. James mentions wealth. I gave a few examples having to do with uh, uh, gender or profession And race. But it could apply to all sorts of ways that we look down our noses at other people, right? You've probably never heard this, and I would love to think that these have never even been thought here at Stonebridge, but I feel like I have to point them out as possibilities. Have you ever said, probably not. Have you ever thought this, though? I hope not. But... Have you ever seen someone come in through the doors and say, what, another white family? We've got enough crackers here already. We need more people of color. You stand over there. Or, what, another Indian family? What's this country coming to? Sit on the floor. Or, what, more old people? Church is going to be a hymn sing before you know it. Oh, no, more millennials. It's going to be a concert before you know it. (laughs) Good grief. They're Democrats? How can they call themselves Christians? They're Republicans? I'm out of here. Stand over there. Sit on the floor. Favoritism, discrimination, dishonor. Those are the words James has for such thoughts. The thing is, when we play favorites, it's obviously that we're mistreating those certain people, the ones that we're not liking, the ones that we're having to say, you know, that we're saying to, to sit on the floor, stand over there, such as that. But, you know, really we're mistreating both. Our behavior in such situations is not good towards either person that comes in, whether it's the rich or poor, the older young, Democrat, Republican, whatever. Why are we treating those people to the good seat? No, oh, you come over here. Is it out of our love for them? Is it out of the kindness of our heart? If we're doing that, no. It's even still selfishness on our part. Why is it we're favoring these people? We're favoring them, not because we love them, but because of what they could do for us. We want the rich person's money to come our way, maybe. We want the person with all that great status to rub off on us. We want that person that agrees with us to come so our voting block will be all the larger, so that our cause could win the day at Stonebridge, whatever that is. Bottom line, in any of these sort of situations, we're not following Christ. Our faith doesn't work. Now, James is... First, ver, first word, rather, in verse 5, is really signals uh, a huge transition. He's described these awful situations. But then he says, all right, now pay attention. He's going to speak to this. And he has this uh, particular Greek word, akuo, if you're into uh, Greek. Rick's probably the only one that even knows what that means. But uh, it could be translated in the NIV, you see it as listen. In the King James, it's hearken. It's basically saying, hey, pay attention. Or if you were here at Summer Bible Camp, uh, you know, if Skater was here, she'd say, hey, yo, 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 wow, pay attention. Check this out. James is now saying, all right, I've described what is all too possible at your church. But now I want you to look at God. Look at God and how he treats those people. Those people how does he treat them? Look at what the passage says there. He has chosen them. He has picked them out. He doesn't wish they would leave. He doesn't shoo them off to the side. He doesn't tell them to stand over there. He picks them out as his very own. As for the poor, given that that's what the example James has given, he says he makes them rich in faith, something that's far more worthwhile than dollar bills. He makes them to be rich in faith. That's what James's whole topic about, uh, is about here in this whole letter, in fact, about faith and how awesome it is. He makes them rich in faith. And he has promised them a kingdom that will never fail, that they're going to inherit, that he's promised to those who love him. Democrat, Republican, hymn singer, whatever. Wow. Russell Moore put it this way in his book Onward. The child with Down syndrome on the fifth row from the back in your church, he's not a ministry project. He's a future king of the universe. The immigrant woman who scrubs toilets every day on hands and knees and can barely speak enough English to sing along with your praise choruses or hymns as the case may be. She's not a problem to be solved. She's a future queen of the cosmos, a joint heir with Christ. To those you and I might be tempted to say, stand over there, Jesus says, come sit by me on my throne in heaven. Wow. And of course, you see all this so clearly in the life of Christ himself, right? He didn't come as a Roman citizen. He didn't come as a philosopher or a general Or a billionaire, or any of those things. He came as a blue collar worker, a carpenter. He didn't just hang out with the poor, he was poor. (laughs) When he was born, where did Mary and Joseph lay him? In a manger, right? A feeding trough, basically. Didn't do that because they were so rich. When he was eight days old, they brought their uh, sacrifice of praise to the temple. But their sacrifice was two doves. That was the allowance for poor folk instead of a lamb. Even after he grew up, he pointed out that he had no place to lay his head. But more than that, he didn't discriminate against anyone. He reached out to every kind of person you could imagine. He sought out and talked to the Samaritan woman. He sought out and talked to the man with the disability who had been born blind. He ate not only with the prostitutes and tax collectors, but with the Pharisees too. And when he saw the rich guy, Zacchaeus, up in a tree, he invited himself to the guy's house for dinner. And when he selected his 12 disciples, the the dudes that were going to hang with him the whole time, right? Notice the contrasts in the guys he picks out. On the one hand, Matthew the tax collector, political collaborator. And he picked out Simon the Zealot, in other words, part of the Zealot party, the revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow Rome. So he took the whole mixed up bag and put them all into his uh, group of 12 disciples. Kind of crazy. So he reached out to all kinds of people. He did not discriminate against anyone for any reason in terms of their status and economics and such. But what Jesus did in terms of reaching out to all kinds of people goes far deeper than economics or status. Jesus went all the way down to the lowest rung on the ladder that there is. Not just being poor, but to the lowest rung on the ladder that there is, the one where each of us stand. The one where each and every one of us are found. For God made him who had no sin to be sin. You see, each of us uh, are on this lowest rung of the ladder. For there's no lower rung on the ladder than enemy of God. And that's what the scripture says all of us are. As we have rejected God, as as we have been lambs who have gone astray, refused to glorify or thank God for being God, that's what sin is. And we all are in that state. We are all there on that ladder. There's no lower status than that, the bottom rung. And if you think about it, from the bottom rung of the ladder, you cannot look down any lower. (laughs) So that we would think that we would look down our noses at anybody else. We're on the bottom rung of the ladder. We can't look down our noses at anybody. There's no one lower. (laughs) We're all in the lowest spot. And we certainly have no right to look down but we can't anyway. That's the why excuse me that's why the quote on the bulletin cover if you don't love the poor you don't know what God has done for you. Because spiritually speaking at least we are all poor. We are all on that bottom rung. And if we don't get that we're there ourselves and have been lifted up, we don't understand what God has done for you. And you can say the same thing about the poor, but also about the rich, about the Baptists, about the Presbyterians, about the Fox News watchers and the MSNBC watchers, and even your enemies. We're called to love our enemies, right? Put that in there. If you don't love your enemies, you don't know what God has done for you because we were all enemies of God at one point. But let's finish the verse that I started. For God made him who had no sin to be sin, because that's us, sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an awesome verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin. Jesus was perfect. When he came to the bottom rung of the ladder, it's not because he had to, because he was like us, but because he wanted to. Because from the bottom rung of the ladder... No one can look down on anyone else. We're all on the bottom right. But also from the bottom rung of the ladder, Jesus Christ has lifted up us, his people. He has lifted us up to the heavenly realms for everyone who belongs to Christ. Everyone who belongs to Christ is equally a child of God, is equally clothed in the righteousness of Christ, is equally, as James put it earlier, rich in faith, and equally a ruler with Christ in the new heavens. And the new earth. Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to see each other for who we really are. That co-heir with Christ. That ruler with him in eternity. He wants us all to see each other for who we really are. To see them for who they really are. The ones you're tempted to look down your nose at. See them for who they really are. That how he sees them. How he sees you. How he sees me. And he wants us to treat each other accordingly. He wants us to treat them the way he treats you and the way he treats me. In other words, he wants us to have a faith that works. That works itself out in this way. Uh, I I love this particular story. It's a story of uh, Mark Hatfield. Mark Hatfield was a senator from Oregon uh, some time ago well-known for his vocal opposition to President Richard Nixon at the time, Uh, Richard uh, his opposition to Nixon in general, and the Vietnam War in particular. Vocal opposition. He was loud about it. He also happened to be a Christian. (laughs) Uh, One day he went to a prayer meeting at the Capitol building. He was uh, apparently a little late. It was kind of dark in the room, so he just goes to the first open seat he finds, uh, sits down, and uh, then joins hands Uh, they had all joined hands and were praying so he got in there joined hands Uh, he figured out pretty quickly they were all praying for each other and praying for the person on the right so he's like well I better figure out who that is maybe I can know something about them and know what to pray and he opens his eyes he turns around he looks and you know who he found not Richard Nixon but just about the same Chuck Colson (laughs) <laughs> yes. Chuck Colson. Uh, some of you know about Chuck Colson. At the time, he was special counsel to President Nixon. He was famously known for saying he would run over his grandmother to see Nixon reelected. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least, Hatfield and Colson were hot political enemies. But Colson had recently professed faith in Christ. And there he was at this prayer meeting, So Hatfield, who's sitting there, feels convicted. And so he prays when it comes his turn. He tearfully praises God for Colson coming to Christ and then praised and thanked God for bringing the two of them together. Wow. In fact, Hatfield became something of a spiritual mentor to Colson. And when Colson was eventually found guilty of his part, and all that Watergate scandal that went on, Hatfield, <laughs> I mean, this is just crazy, offered to serve his prison time in his place. You see, that's faith that works. What exactly is faith that works, you might be asking? It's not simply trying harder. See, we could hear all this sort of stuff, and James is saying some pretty convicting things here, maybe to us, and we think, well, I gotta just suck it up and all. Well, there's nothing wrong with trying harder, but that's not exactly what faith is. Faith that works is faith in, trust in, dependence upon Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. He's not only our great example, and we looked at uh, some of the ways he's our example in a, few minute, a few minutes ago, but more than that, he's the power that enables us to love. Check these scriptures out. Yeah, I thought I was supposed to get to that. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. You see, John is encouraging us to love, but he's telling us how it's going to happen because love itself comes from God, as he goes on to say, for God is love. Romans 5.5, 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God is love, and God in the person of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, is actually inside of us. And his love has been poured into our hearts. That's how we can love even fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. And then finally, as uh, Paul says in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So as the, fruit, as the Holy Spirit is in us, as we have faith in Christ, as we come to him and say, Lord, I know how I can discriminate. I know how I, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. I need your love to come to me. You've poured out your love into my heart. You've given me your Holy Spirit dwelling in my heart. Holy Spirit, sanctify me, change me. Enable me in this situation to start thinking differently about these people. To see the ones I struggle with as you see them. Future kings and queens in your kingdom. So our call is to exercise faith in Christ. To have faith that works. To exercise faith in Christ to make sure that words like favoritism, discrimination, dishonor, need never be said here at Stonebridge. Let's exercise faith in Christ because, you know, we live in such a world of anger, such a world of disrespect, such a world of demonization out there. You'd think in a sense it wouldn't be all that hard for us to stand out, right? (laughs) But that's not what we're talking about, just being better than that. Let's let Christ fill us so that the way we treat one another would be so different that his love would abound in this place so much that truly people would know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would confess one more time to you in this service that we have fallen short in that there are people that we have a hard time with, even perhaps here. They have different ideas about how this church should run. They look different, behave differently, whatever it might be. Father, save us from ourselves. Help us, Lord, to remember how you came all the way down to the bottom rung of the ladder where I am, where each of us are, and lifted us up and that you've done the same thing to them. Lord, we rejoice in that. May we more and more revel in your goodness to us so much that it would spill over into how we treat one another here, and that truly the world around us, our community that needs you so much, would see you here. Father, we give now our tithes and offerings to you and pray that even these financial gifts would do that same thing as they are used to spread your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.